Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. Hey now! Hey now! Hey now! Hey now! Welcome to season twelve, episode three of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett, and I am very excited about the program I have for you today. After a few minutes of my rambling, we will welcome Joe Buck onto the podcast tonight, and I think it's one of Joe's best appearances on this podcast. He talks very honestly about leaving Fox and going to ESPN. He talks about his time calling baseball, some of his great memories, including the Mark McGuire home run chase in 98, uh, some of the World Series moments he was able to call, especially the 2011 World Series where he got to not copy, but emulate and pay tribute to his father with the We Will See You Tomorrow Night call. And then we talk about Monday Night Football and uh, the schedule he's got and what he is excited for. And he talks very honestly about potentially calling Deshaun Watson's first game at home for the Browns. Uh, The Browns are on Monday Night Football week eight. If it ends up being a six-game suspension, that would be his second game. The first one would be on the road. Now, a couple things about the Buck interview. We we did it the day that Vince Scully died, uh, but he hadn't passed away yet. So we I wasn't able to talk to him about Vin uh, and his passing, although he did do a really nice interview with Richard Deitch uh, on Richard Deitch's sports media podcast. So if you want to hear Joe talk about Vin, you can certainly check that out for that. Unfortunately, it happened after we talked, so I wasn't able to discuss it with him. Uh, also, it happened before the NFL decided to appeal the Deshaun Watson case. So it's not as clear cut, obviously, now that game six or game two for Watson will be week eight after a six game suspension. Uh, So Joe might not have to worry about what will be the right or wrong thing to say and do that night. Uh, But we did not know that at the time of the interview. But it's a great spot with Joe. Uh, I love having Joe Buck on and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Also on the show, uh, and it's a loaded show, believe me, after the book club update, and we do have a new book in the book club that I'm excited about, uh, and I know that this author's not going to blow me off either, but, and I'll tell you more about that in the book club, but after that, Jeff Passan from ESPN uh, will join us to talk about the trade deadline, we'll talk about the winners and losers. This was recorded on Thursday, I believe. Uh, so before the Mets were able to take five, four out of five against the Braves this weekend. And my brother was asking me if I'm worried about the Braves. And I'm not that worried about them. Um, they were 55 and 55 at this point last year. Uh, and they went on to win the World Series. They've played really good baseball at times this year. Uh, in April, they were pretty mediocre. Uh, June, they were awesome. July, they were very good. Uh, we'll see how it goes uh, the rest of the season. There's. Another long set of games against the Mets coming up, but that's 
at Truist in Atlanta. Um, they'll have to play well there. I don't know that it matters that much if they win the division. Jeff Patson and I talk about this. Of course, you'd rather win it. Uh, but there is something to be said about just keeping on rolling uh, through the season. You'd rather not play the extra round, but if they have to, they will. And I'm sure we're going to find under this new format, plenty of teams who play in this wild card round are going to win the World Series. And there's no reason they couldn't do it if they need to. Um, what I would rather not have happen is what happened to the Dodgers and Giants last year. And we talk about this, Jeff and I, uh, where you just play till the very, very end of the season. Every game is a playoff game starting like August 1st. And you have nothing left by October. I think it was Austin Riley who said, yeah, they're ahead of us in August, but let's see how things are in October. And I think that when you have a team like the Mets have, or you have a team like the Braves have, or the Yankees who are struggling a little bit for the first time this year, I think what's important is October. That's how your season is going to be measured. Nobody's going to care that the Yankees played 700 baseball or whatever for the first four months of the season if they lose the ALCS in six games to the Astros. Uh, they'll be measured by how the 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 play is in, in October. And I'm not going to get caught too caught up. Now, if I was a Mets fan, I'd get very caught up in it. I'd be thrilled. Uh, they won four games. Max Scherzer looked amazing. Look, he's getting better. DeGrom looks like he's getting better. The team looks like they're clicking all, on all cylinders. But there's still a lot of baseball to be played. So I wouldn't worry too much about that, and I'm not. Uh, we'll have one last thing to close things out. I'll do my plugs like I normally do. And one thing I want to mention, she's not here now, uh, but hopefully she'll be home and can pop in at some point during the show. Uh, Paula and I have been working to develop a podcast that she's going to host called The Paula Pod. And uh, she's really excited about it. And it's been fun this week uh, working with her on it. She did her first interview with my brother, uh, Uncle Anthony, who was in town. Uh, she's going to do a little book club thing where she talks about children's books that she's read. Um, and she's just really excited. And I'm really excited for her to learn a skill like talking into a microphone and being confident. And uh, it's really fun. We've been developing it, and I can't wait for you to hear it. I'll probably put the episodes up on the feed. Obviously, you guys don't have to listen to them if you're not interested. But if you want to check it out for her, that'd be cool too. And it's easy. it's easier if I put it up on the feed for people like my mom and my brothers to hear it. And things like that. And she's just really excited about it. And I'm really excited for her. Uh, so that's a, a quick Paula Bennett update. Who was the subject of one last thing. Uh, last episode if you want to check that out. This is the third of the season since I've been back for my health issues. First episode we had Andrew Marchand. And we had John Aurand on together to discuss their podcast. Which comes out every Wednesday. And then we also had Aaron Schatz on to talk about uh, Football Outsiders and the 2022 Almanac. Uh, also, then last week we had Sean McDonough on to talk about the first season calling hockey games for ESPN, and we also had a guy named Scott Morrison on who wrote a great hockey book called 1972 about the Summit Series, and I thought that was a great interview. Um, I thought there's some really interesting stuff, and I'm looking forward to his book next year about Mike Keenan and having him back. So that's what we've done so far. Today we have Joe Buck and Jeff Passan. Uh, we have a new book in the book club, and we'll close everything out with one last thing. All right, I'm excited for this one. Let's get into it. Let's jump in. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with Joe Buck.
Our first guest today is the PBP1 for the NFL on ESPN, uh, having left Fox just recently and now making his move to ESPN for Monday Night Football. And of course, done with baseball now and a good friend to the show and someone who's way too kind to me at Warm Sportscasters. Welcome to Joe Buck. What's up, Joe? How are you? Good. Doing good, finally. Happy I know. to be I'm so happy. happy for you. Thank I'm you. I'm so happy for you and uh, a hell of a lot tougher than I am. And <laughs> I know you've been through a lot, so it's good to talk to you on a day where you had a good trip to the dock and yeah, uh, yeah ready to talk and spill my guts about the same old stuff that I've talked about probably every time that I've been on your podcast, <laughs> but let's go. You know, you say you're not as tough as me, but like those pictures you posted, I look like that hurt pretty bad. So, I mean, you yeah, got to be mean, kind of tough. Hair, it's hair transplant surgery, though. It's not, I mean, come on. It's still it's still pretty topical. It's still pretty uh, non-invasive. Uh, not going under anymore, so there's no vocal cord paralysis sure. uh, issues. So, all good. I've, I've, I'm actually, uh, today was the first day I was able to wash my hair. Oh, nice. So uh, this, uh, let me tell you, after you have a procedure like that and you sit uh, for five days without being able, I, you could wash it, but you can't scratch it. And when you've, you've got like those little scabs that are healing, it is, it's like torture. So today was a big day for me too. Not as yeah. important as yours, <laughs> but everything's relative in this world. Hey, I spent like 61 days in the hospital this year and there's no washing your hair there. I mean, you could go drag your ass to the bathroom and like rub a little water in it. But I, so well, I know. Good it, God! I mean, you, could you make me feel any worse? <laughs> no, I'm just Jeez. saying. I know what it's like to get a nice hair wash. I was like agreeing yeah, with you. You know what a I mean? Nice, <laughs> yeah. nice full hair wash. Yeah. But again, you have me beat by a factor of one million. So. Nah, well, you know what they say? Like nobody gets anything they can handle, and I can handle that, and I handled it, so we're good. Well, good for you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, what the hell happened? <laughs> the last time we talked. Uh, you were uh, thinking you were going to kind of slow down on baseball, I think. I got the impression you weren't going to do it much longer. and uh, But you were still on Fox. And then when I heard the news about Troy, I kind of felt my gut like you might follow him. I don't know how quickly you got the idea you might. I know Fox kind of did you a solid. I don't know if they had to make a trade like Al Michaels where they got like a cartoon character back. They did. Yeah. They did. Okay. Uh, but we can get to that. Yeah. Sure. I, honest to God. I never saw it coming. I and and I, I wish I could give you new fresh stuff because I hate being boring and saying the same stuff over and over again. But it is true that all year long, I thought that at worst Troy was going to do the Thursday nights on Amazon and then do the doubleheader game, which I don't know that that means anything to anybody. But the the big late Sunday football games, which right. is basically every other weekend every other Sunday on Fox with me, and then he'd do the postseason and the Super Bowl. And so his schedule route would basically remain unchanged from what we had done the previous four years with Thursday night, Sunday night. And I would just do the Sunday games and stay at Fox. And then that that whole situation disintegrated fast. Um, and, you know, that's his story to tell, and, and he's sure. been pretty open about it. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I think when I saw him walk out of the door – um and and he was gone totally uh it it kind of started in my head you know what what do i want to do here because you're right i had told fox and, I, and i've said this a million times and i said this to them i was going to do baseball one more year 
which would be this year. Um, and then I was going to step aside and it was time for a new voice and loved every second of it, but I feel like it, it was time and, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled for Joe Davis. And, and then, so, so that was, that plan was kind of already set up. And then, you know, Troy leaves, goes to ESPN. And then I, I had never thought of myself as an ESPNer, uh, mainly because my wife is there and, and it, I, I kind of like the idea of, of us being at competing networks, so to speak. And, uh, but, but then my mind changed once Troy was, was in that booth. And I was like, you know, I'm 53 years old. I don't really want to go through, uh, the getting to know you process with somebody else. I've done that a lot during my career and it's a pretty high profile, least in my weird world and, and high pressure situation. So if there's any way I can get to where he is and be with somebody who I know where they're going before, sometimes they know where they're going on the air and I really enjoy being around, let's try to make it happen. And then this is the end of my soliloquy, but you're right. Fox did me a, a, a huge favor. They did not have to let me out. They offered right. me an extension, so it wasn't like they were like, "Oh, please take him." They, I, I could have easily signed an extension there um, and still be there now. Uh, but they understood that I wanted to work with Troy, and I, I think a change is probably good for everybody. And uh, and so they made a trade of, I think it was Penn State. Oh yeah, the football game, Purdue yep, that's or right. something, the college football game, the Big Ten game. Yeah, that's right. So that's what I was worth, Penn State, Purdue. <laughs> but they let me out a year early, and they didn't have to. And I, I you know, I, I'm so indebted to them for everything. I mean, I everything. I wouldn't be at, I wouldn't be anywhere. Sure. Uh, with without, you know, David Hill and Ed Gorn and everybody else that that got me in the door there, and then allowed me to keep doing it. So it just worked out, and and you know I got a call from my old boss Eric Shanks two days ago as he was headed to the NFL seminar, and we talked for a while, and and it's just it's it's got a good feeling to it because it ended on really good terms, and and so I'm I'm that that's the best part of it is is feeling like everybody still likes each other, so that's good. Let me ask you a couple of nerdy kind of sports media follow up questions. Did you ever get to the point at all after Troy left where there was ever any discussion about who you might work with instead if you stayed? Did that ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that was during the time when they were offering me, you know, they wanted to see if I was in it for the long term and, and I wanted to stay there. And they were talking about an extension and, you know, they 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 were unsure of who would be the the person that would stand in that spot this year. They floated the name Brady. Right. But this was all during the time that Tom was retired. Sure. And this was when he, before he unretired. So I was like, Hey, you know, I mean, that's exciting. And, and, you know, Tom, there's only one Tom Brady. Um, but again, it's, it's a lot of the unknowns and, and I, you know, whatever Troy wanted, I, I know that, that it's going to cost a lot for Tom. I didn't know it was going to cost that much, right. as, as we all know now. Yeah, but big money. Again, I mean, it 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 didn't almost it almost didn't matter who they said because I had somebody I enjoyed over here, and and I just wanted to continue that and build on on what we've done. And I, 
you know, I, I, I canvassed everybody I could come, I could think of from my old boss to my, obviously my family, to my friends, to other people in the business. And I would say 99.9%, and I probably could say a hundred percent said change is good and, and it's good for both sides and, and go for it. But to answer your question, yes, they did. They did talk about interesting possibilities and, and, uh, I, it's not to say that I, wouldn't be excited to work with anybody that they put out there, but I'm just more in the mode of kind of sticking with what I know. Being with your boy. I understand yeah. that. Um, I don't want to get personal, so we'll do this general, and obviously this is stuff that's reported anyway, but Tony Romo really knocks the door down. Um, when well, he did. He did, no, right? He, he did, and I, I just saw him out in Tahoe at that uh, at that golf tournament, and he walked, he walked by, and... I jumped up and gave him a hug. I bet. I was like, hey, you know, he changed the whole he landscape. Did. Yeah. And, you know, it is it is crazy that, that this money got thrown around. And it was Tony that that started a lot of that. And and I think I could make the case. I, I, I said this the other day. You know, I don't know. If, if that contract doesn't happen to that degree, you know, does all this movement – happen afterward i don't know i don't know if i kind of doubt if, it i kind of doubt yeah, it. i mean yeah. if, if he signed a normal deal that was was you know reflective of a raise and him coming in and proving himself and being different and 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 whatever and good for him um you know if that if it's a normal type deal i don't know that every that there's this upheaval but once that happened you know i think everybody's eyes widened on you know, our side of the fence, whether it's me or Al or Nance or, you know, Troy or whoever, and, and everybody on the other side of, of the fence, their eyes widen too, whether, you know, it's Shanks or Jimmy Pataro or Sean McManus or whomever. So, I, you know, it's all hypothetical stuff. And, and it's, I just know that I, I can't wait to get to work. I'm tired of sitting around. I've, we've got a rehearsal game we're doing on the 18th of august up in seattle and to work with a new producer and director and uh and see what that's like after being guys with guys that are you know some of my best friends and producers and directors both baseball and football fox i just can't wait to kind of experience a new feel and see what that's like uh because i've only been at one place since i was 24 years old so i it's it's uh, it's exciting to say the least. You you still brought your your stats guy, right? Your guy kind of behind you in the booth, and that he's coming with you. Right? Our booth is basically the picked same. up. Yeah, yeah. Our booth got picked up and moved from one network to the other because they're all independent contractors. Right. For for Sfita and Bill Garrity, my my stat guy and my spotter, it actually benefits them because they can do Monday night with me, but they can also do Sundays with. You know Adam Amin, sure. uh, who they work with, and so they get to kind of double dip. So good for them. You know, I'm a Saints fan, and when I was a kid, they weren't always great. And uh, one thing that was always pumped me up was when they would get a Monday night game, and it was rare. But I would hear Al and Frank and Deerdorf at the time was the booth, right? Yeah, and I would hear those guys, and I, when I heard their voices, I was like. This is a big game. My team's in a big game. How did we get here? You know what I mean? And Monday Night yeah. Football has always had that feeling, you know, and I don't want to put anyone down. I respect all announcers, but 
I think the booths at ESPN in the last few years have maybe lacked that a little bit. Uh, I love Steve Levy, though. I thought he did a great job, so I'm not putting anyone down. But I, I am excited about you and Troy being in Monday Night Football because I do feel like in a in a, in a way that when you guys call Saints in Tampa or whatever, I'm going to get that feeling of, okay, Buck and Aikman are here. My team is in a big game tonight, and I kind of love that about it. I don't know if you thought about that at all. Well, I to me, yeah, and I'm with you on, on Steve is – yeah, awesome. I, lo- I love he him. Was, yeah, I like him a lot. He was the first guy I texted when this thing kind of came down. And I said, look, this is weird because I've always considered him a friend. And, and he had called me for advice in the past when he got the job. And it's just it just sucks. And it's it's awkward. And, and you know, he was phenomenal. He was like, "I, I look, if it's you, I'm good with it. And, and it was, I don't know, it, it was very... I was, it was almost emotional for me to read that for somebody that, and he's going to thank God, you know, yeah. there's going to be some Monday double headers and there's going to be more next year. So he's still going to have, I don't know what the number is, five or six games on Monday night football as well, which is great. But I liken it back to, because I'm a hundred years older than you in baseball, you know, baseball, I know this is hard for people of a certain age to even believe but when I was a kid, there was one game on a week on TV. Otherwise, it was radio. Unless it was the Braves on right. TBS. That's why I'm a Braves Cubs. fan. They're the only team yeah. I could watch every day, you know? Right. Yeah. And and it was Cubs on GN and it was and it was Braves on TBS. Otherwise, for the team I grew up rooting for, the Cardinals, and was around as a kid, if they were on the game of the week, uh, it was huge that Vin Scully and Joe Gargiola were talking about the team that I loved and it was it was it was a big deal and now that that's you know I I did the game of the week for 20 something years and it it just it isn't that because every team has every game on television it's just on a different channel with different announcers that aren't your hometown announcers doing the game so I understand that feeling, and when people say to me or to Troy, we know when we hear your voices that it's a game we should pay attention to or it's a big game, that is, without a doubt, the the best compliment that we can be given. And, and that, I think, happens over time. Because when we took over for Madden and Summerall back in, oh, God, what was it, oh, two or whatever it was, uh, you know, we had to prove that and it took 20 years to get there. And, and, and I think, you know, the people, a whole generation now has grown up where the big game on Fox was us calling it. Now it's just, you know, one channel over on a different night, but that that's like the biggest compliment that, that any announcer can get. Like when we hear your voice, we know it's a big game and, and that just takes time. So that's going to happen eventually for, for Kevin and Greg and or Kevin and Tom, whenever that happens, and that's going to happen for Joe Davis and John Smoltz. It's just a time thing more than a more than a talent thing or more than any of that. Yeah, I mean, as a Saints fan, if I think of any big game that they played in the Breeze Peyton era, just to kind of narrow it down, even some of the ones that didn't go my way, basically you and Troy called it. I mean, other than a couple. You know, um, yeah. You know, obviously the Super Bowl was on CBS that year, so it was Nance, but it was Nance and Sims. 
But um, what a Super Bowl that was! Yeah, by the way. Tracy Porter, baby. Um, <laughs> uh, Thomas Morstead. Yeah, the old onside yeah, kick. Yeah, that's right. The ambush. It's called in St. Yes. Slower ambush. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, all those games I think of. I mean, even some big regular season games like the the Breeze comeback against the Redskins a couple years ago, and Kamara caught the tying touchdown when he kind of batted it up and then caught it and jumped in the stands. And um, even like I said, ones that went the wrong way, like uh, like the Rams game when we got cheated. You know, um, you guys are calling. <laughs> you guys are calling those games. I think I talked to you. I we think did we talk did about it. Yeah. yeah, we did. And, and it, to this day, yeah, we got we got. I've cheated. never walked out of a stadium feeling like the wrong team won, and it, and, it, and it just just circumstantial. I mean, it was a hell of a game, and there's still more football to be played. But that was just crazy. Like that that was a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Yeah, legacy changing, and, Peyton said to the referee yeah. on the sideline. He said that's a yeah. le- legacy changing mistake. And he's right, because we never got back that far yeah. again. Yeah. 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 So. Or or the digs. You were mad at me for the digs yeah, touchdown. No, I, I mean that was a great call. I, I it makes me want to throw up every time I see it. And now he's in Buffalo, so I see it all the time, it seems like. But you're right. That was exactly a, that was a great game too. And I mean, you nailed the moment on that one. Um, God, the, that uh, was nuts. What, I had vertigo in that game that I've never told anybody. Wow, you killed it for having vertigo. I, well, I, I had salmonella that week, and which I've, I've never, you know, I don't know anybody else in my life, I'm 53, that has ever had salmonella. Maybe it's out there more than I'm aware of. That's but something I, like I, your mom threatens you with. Like if you don't touch the chicken right, you're going to oh get my salmonella. God. Yeah. It is the worst. And I was, I've was i never been sicker that whole week. And I, I couldn't walk from my bed to the uh, toilet without feeling like I was going to fall on my head. Because your, your whole – it gave me vertigo because I was so dehydrated. And your your equilibrium's off, so you you have no balance, and you feel like you're falling when you're not. And I was like, I, "There's no way I can fly up there and do this game." And I I was messed up before and after that game, but for some reason during the game, I had no symptoms. And I I remember walking out of that stadium and my ears ringing with that place going nuts. Oh, I bet. Like I, I can't. I almost tapped out of this game. I've never missed a game, even with this stupid paralyzed vocal cord. And I thought that this was going to be it, but thank God I, you know, sorry for you, but yeah. thank God I, I, I didn't miss that one. I was going to say that game gave me something too. I don't know what you call it, but something. yeah, uh, yes. let's get, let's say goodbye to baseball real quick. Cause as a Braves fan, I found the poetry in your first world series being their loss at Yankee stadium and your last one being their world series triumph. I didn't even think about that Yeah, the, at Houston. So I kind of took some, you know, just thought that was kind of a cool little coincidence. Uh, but what when you look back at your years of calling baseball for Fox, and even if you want to go further to calling games with your dad and doing stuff in St. Louis or whatever, but what, what sticks out as some of your top memories from your career calling some of the biggest baseball games of a generation? Yeah, they're just, they're just no moments like that. Even that Diggs thing. You know that that was a hell of a moment, and, and it came in a burst. And yeah, it's, true it's, walk off, right in football. It, it's a walk off. You yeah. rarely have that. We mm-hmm. had that in a champ game in Seattle, oh, that right. crazy Seahawks yep. Packers game mm-hmm. that was crazy that it even got there. But um, but the baseball is just different for an announcer. And when I say, you know, I told Fox that I I was 
I was thinking about doing one more year and that's it. It's not because I don't love it. I mean, as, as an announcer, I, I was born and bred in baseball and I spent more time in a booth as a little kid than I probably should have or that I could ever even quantify. But I, I, I love calling baseball. I love it. And, and I love getting into it and thinking about the strategy and trying to think along with managers, watching games unfold, watching games in October unfold, watching series unfold, and then getting to a World Series and, you know, sometimes being lucky enough to get to a Game 7. It's just, there's nothing like it. And, and Super Bowl's huge. You know, you do it to 110, 112 million people, whatever the number is. But when you get to a baseball game seven and it's late innings and the game's on the line, the season's on the line, a championship's on the line, and there's a guy on the mound with a ball and there's a guy at the plate with a bat, not to be corny, but it, it just there's just nothing like that mano-a-mano kind of head-to-head action. And as a broadcaster, that's when the game kind of handles itself. There's not much to do. You can just kind of sit there and and – hold your breath with everybody else and then if action happens you know you jump on it but if it's a three two pitch and a guy fouls it away you don't even need to say that you can just let it go so i mean the mcguire home run chase is something i'll never forget because i got to do it you know with my dad sometimes in the same booth uh the night he broke the record one booth to my left um and and so that was fun uh the david freeze home run in game six of 2011, see you tomorrow night. the see you tomorrow night ripoff of my dad's call was, uh, was you know, just an incredible game in, you know, just from beginning to end with the team facing elimination, whether it was the Cardinals or not, didn't matter. It just was, they just didn't die. And they won the next night to kind of validate what happened in game six. But, you know, to be there and be the only person ever to call the Cubs winning the world series on television is something that I'm really proud to say. Uh, to to be there, kind of same thing with the Red Sox winning the first for the first time in 86 years. For the Yankees, return to glory in '96 and Jeter and the the core of that team and being together and winning over and over again. The White Sox winning for the first time in forever. I mean, it the list just goes on and on. And Aaron Boone, I, Aaron Boone home run. Aaron Boone. Yeah. I mean. Those Yankees Red Sox matchups, you know, in in the early yeah oh three and oh four zeros the aughts the oh mm-hmm. three oh four when they went you know Yankees won in oh three on Aaron Boone's walk off home run against Tim Wakefield and then uh, and then the you know we know what happened in oh four with the Red Sox coming back down four game or three games to right, nothing to base. four in a row mm-hmm. one stolen base I mean by the length of an arm they win the World Series. And it's Dave Roberts, who then I get to know better as the manager of the Dodgers. With a, you know, they're in the postseason every year. So it, I don't know. It, it, there's a culture in baseball that I just love, and a, and a lot of repeat performers, and a lot of guys that I saw as players when I was with my dad, that I see in management or uh, you know in scouting departments or whatever as as an older guy. So I, I'm, I'm going to miss it, and and you know I, but it, but it it's okay to move on and and tackle different stuff and be around home and and be here with my kids and and enjoy what i'm going to do 
with football and, and let that be my career for a while. Yeah, you had a you had a game seven walk off hit in Arizona. Um I mean, and that series. was at the end of that's in two thousand one with right. everything else that was going and on. And those in two this home runs, Brocious and Martinez in Yankee Stadium, my God. I still don't yeah, believe that. Yeah, I mean they lightning happened. lightning yeah, I still can't literally that. struck twice. Yeah. And and you know, it, it you know, and Bob you know, the then the small piece to everybody else, but to us, Bob Brenly, who was our broadcast partner in the booth in the postseason the first few years is their manager and to, to see him win a world series and to kind of slay the dragon and Mariano Rivera and then being around those kind of guys. I mean, Rivera is the best to ever do what he did period. End mm-hmm. of story. I mean, there's no debating what his postseason record was on top of an incredible regular season and the way he lived his life and carried himself and Jeter and, uh, you know, Pujols, who I've gotten to know really, really well uh, here in St. Louis, and so many, Mike Trout, and so many of these great players that are just great people, too. So I'll, I'll miss it, as, if you can't tell by now. Well, I'm glad Freddie Freeman and the uh, and the Braves are able to send you off uh, well with a decent series. Not the Another best. great guy. Yeah, yeah not- I mean, but but here's what's changed, and, and I, I'm not going to do the get-off-my-lawn stuff, but what I really miss is looking at a postseason like World Series matchup and and predicting who's going to win specific pitching matchups. And, you know, because rotations are established and they turn over right. and you get through one series and it's like, all right, Mike Mussina is lined up for game one and he's going to take on Kurt Schilling. And then in game two, you know, whatever it is. And that stuff, you know, last year, you know the guy's name. I did the game. I... I this is no disrespect. It's just because stuff comes and goes in yeah. my mind. But I mean, game two, three, four, wherever. I guess it would be, it would have been three, four, or five. Atlanta starting a guy in the World Series that had never made a major league start. Yeah, and then Kyle Wright had to come out of the bullpen to relieve him. Um, yeah, it's just that that's I miss the great pitching matchups that used to just define postseason baseball to me and and you know I, it's just it's things change and that doesn't mean it's worse or better or whatever it's just different yeah with the openers and things like that i've always been really into pitchers i mean growing up watching the braves and having you know smoltz and glavin and maddox to watch every night i always really love pitchers and the opening thing kind of hurts my soul um but the braves i yeah. mean snick's snit's not too bad i think that was more out of necessity last year um, oh yeah, 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 and and that's because there's, and here's the thing. I mean, you can, I can sit here and talk about it, but but now there are more there are more games to get to the World Series. So back in the day, it was you know you win the league, you're playing mm-hmm. you're in, in the there. World Series. Yep. Now and then after '69, well now you got to win you know the LCS, but you know and then but now it's play-in games and wild card rounds and LCS and then you get to the World Series by that time your pitching is upside down so yeah it's it's out of necessity I, I just point was it is miss kind of being able to say okay well Pettit's going to take on Smoltz and then Cone's going to pitch against Glavin and, and you know that that kind of stuff just isn't talked about as much totally agree and it was Dylan Lee who was the opener there you uh, go. For Atlanta in game, and that was game four in 
in Atlanta, and the Braves. Atlanta. The Braves won yes. three to two. Tyler Matzik was the the winner. I mean, pitcher. and that, and they, you know, so they they flipped it. They had an incredible bullpen, and Snit, who's a wonderful human being, and I couldn't be happier for him that they got it done uh, and got it done with you know Noah Cunha, right, and Noah Zuna. Um, that you know he he's. He he couldn't wait to get to those lefties out of his bullpen, and so it was just like when the Royals were rolling and they won it all. It was like it was a at best a five inning game, six inning game maybe, but then you got into the back end of the Royals bullpen, and Ned Yost is like they're lined up, they're ready to go, they're going to pitch, and you're not going to score against them. Yeah, it was like Andrew Miller and those guys, right? Um, it was it was. Uh, yeah, God, I, yeah. I don't know. The Andrew name sticks yeah. out. Uh, the one cool thing about the Braves World Series last year, though, in game six, the clinching game, Max Freed, uh, you know, their ace, pitched like an ace. Six strong innings. Uh, I thought he should have went further. But like you said, Snit's so anxious to get to that bullpen. But remember, he got stepped on in the first inning. And yep. they almost had to take him out right away. But he battled. And, man, he's But it was stud. the year before that, that Snell's pitching – Right, and they took him out way too early. Yep, they take him out in the sixth or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. and uh, Mookie Betts hits the right-hander, takes him into the corner for a double. They tie the game and they win, and the World Series is over. So I don't know. I I, it's just a different philosophy, and uh, I I just I guess I am the get off my lawn guy, but I I, I'd like to see these starters. Like to see these starters, and as with Smoltz, I think he. He poisoned my well uh, with <laughs> with his thoughts about starting pitching. He just wants to see these guys go deeper into games. That Tampa Dodgers series maybe has your best call in terms of like your talent shining through. That play that ended the one game that was just chaos, where the ball's going all over and you're oh not, my god! I mean, you nailed that, and it could have been so easy to screw it up. So, well, what the scary thing was if it had to happen remotely. Because right. I was at least at the stadium, and I could see it unfolding where the throw's coming from right field. It's a little bit offline. I see a Rosarena for Tampa Bay stumbling around third, and he's flat on his belly. Right. And Will Smith, the catcher for the Dodgers, doesn't know that because he's looking out into right field. And instead of just easily gathering the ball in on one hop, and and just walking to the plate and tagging a Rosarena, he tries to swipe it and he he doesn't really he doesn't catch the throw coming in and a Rosarena is able to pop up and just basically walk home. So had I been in a studio in New York, LA or Zimbabwe, it wouldn't have I, I wouldn't have seen half of that. So thank God I was there for that call because it just would have been utterly confusing. That would have been interesting if they would have sent you out to Zimbabwe for that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah or my basement. But that, the, you could do that, – that was the weird thing is everybody's doing games. From wherever. From home and everywhere else. And yeah. analysts and play-by-play guys aren't in the same spot. And Poor Doc Emmerich and, calling the Stanley Cup final You know, from a studio. Doesn't know when goalies are getting pulled. Doesn't know when refs have their arms up. Just brutal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, it makes it – and nobody – Nobody at home wants to hear complaining. Uh, this one thing my dad told me when I was a kid going to my first year at Louisville, and I probably told you this before, but he's like, nobody listening cares 
if the announcer is hot, cold, if their vantage point's no good, if the booth stinks, if you know you're tired, just call the game. And so back then, when I did it, just a handful of games remotely, I, I, that was the last thing I wanted to talk about. Well, we're not really there, so we can't see this. Just do the game, and if you make a mistake, you make a mistake and move on. All right, the sportscasters are here with the great Joe Buck moving to ESPN Monday Night Football this year. Looking forward to that. One last thing, I'll let you go out on this. Let's just talk about the schedule for a minute um, because I was absolutely crushed when I found out that you're going to Minnesota week two and not to my hometown of Buffalo um, for Bill's Titans. You're going, you're going to, you guys are going to be on ABC. I guess that's probably why you guys. That's, are, well, are that's exactly yeah. why because when the schedule came out, Everybody, the, my, my new bosses at ESPN both contacted Troy and me. They're like, well, what do you think? And both Troy and I uh, said the Buffalo game, Tennessee at Buffalo, just because of the game. I better mean, the game, game yeah. It's, it's probably a better game, but I guess their research came back and said, yeah, but the other one's on ABC, and, you know, it's Philly, Minnesota. And I'm like, I don't. I was like, I, I I barely work there. You tell me where to go, and right. I'll go there, and whatever. So, yeah, that was the old switcheroo. But I I think you could make the case. They're and you're both only good games. Yeah. On, they're both they're good both games. good games. Yeah. I mean, Philly should be re- if if Hertz is good. Philly could be really good. Yeah, and Minnesota could um, be really good too. So and Minnesota good games, could be yeah. really good too. So it, they're both good games. But I. Our initial thought, both Troy and me, was that we would be in Buffalo, but they they switched it. Um, this is something I I feel like I have to ask you, but if you want to edit it out after or not answer it, we can or whatever. <laughs> okay. um, week eight, you guys have Cleveland and Cincinnati, and obviously with Watson getting six games, if that doesn't change by the league, you're going to have Watson basically in his first or second game. I'm not sure their buy situation. If the six game, if it, if that'll be a first I or think second, I'm I'm fairly certain, and I, I somebody texted me this, so this is me going off somebody's information. It'll be, it would theoretically be his first home game. Okay, yeah, on Halloween night, um, Monday yeah. night in Cleveland. Just, I guess the question is, just, have you thought about how you might handle the situation as a broadcast? Is there anything you feel like you have to do, or do you just show up and call yeah. the game? Or I don't, I'm not sure what no. I'm. No, okay, no, I I think I think. You know, in this day and age, you have to spend time really being accurate, fair, real. Um, The problem is you don't have a lot of time once that door is open because then it becomes kind of soapboxy and you – and you don't want it to, to go on and on. Eventually, people, I don't care what they think of the situation, are, pre- are eventually going to say, will you shut up and call the game? Because there's, there's going to be so much said about that entire situation, uh, certainly that week. But, I mean, starting now, now that the suspension has been handed down. But you better believe that I will spend the better part of that week coming up with what I hope is the right tone and uh, in, in saying the right thing. Um, I don't know what that is as we sit here. In, you got time. Yeah, you got time. Yeah, I don't know what that is as we sit here in August. But, um, 
yeah, that that's one of those that you cannot you can't make mistake because it's it's a tense situation and and that's you know that that's just part and parcel with what's gone on and and what he's been accused of and and you know I will I will have every I dotted and every T crossed by the time my mouth opens on that Monday night. Well, thank you. I appreciate the honesty on that. And I promise there won't be a press release or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah. Joe, I mean, Joe Buck said this on the sportscasters here to here first. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, that <laughs> happens all the time. But I, I, I mean, honestly, whatever the situation that is, is outside the lines of football, you know, th- th- we are at an, in a time where you better think about what well, you can't just go off the cuff is my point and and think you're going to nail it you you have to you have a limited amount of time and and it's highly sensitive information that you have to give and then you have to get back to calling the game so you've got to be prepared to say what you need to say and want to say but but really need to say and 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 be ready well, that's a, that's a smart answer, and I appreciate the honesty on that. I'm looking at the schedule. Like I said, that game's week eight. It's eight fifteen on Halloween, so we'll see. Uh, th- you know, I know that when ESPN signed this rights deal with the NFL and spent as much money as they did, it part of what they wanted was a good schedule. And you have a great one, I think. Looking at it, there's great games. LA and Green Bay. I mean, come on, and you got Buffalo and Cincinnati week seventeen. That could be good, unless everything's wrapped up. You never know about that. Um, Saints in Baltimore. I'll be interested in that one. Um, yeah, there really aren't yeah, any that no. you go, wow, this is on Monday Night Football. Um, and I think, to be honest, you know, I, I, I've answered this on other shows. You know, the I, I think that's ESPN's hope and goal is that the league sees that that they're investing in the booth in a, in a different way and. And that they get favorable matchups that translate to a little bit higher rating at some point, and that translates to dollars. I mean, it's a business, so I, I don't know. It's it's a strange time in this business. NFL is clearly king. I don't know what the exact number is, but like what seventy five of the top one hundred shows on TV for the year last year were NFL or football. Yeah, and sports in so, general, live sports in general. I mean, is yeah. Cool. I mean, it, it is. It, it's it just it's separated from everything else. So, you know, I, I like I said before, Steve. I just can't wait to get to work, and I can't wait to see what this is like, and uh, I can't wait to settle in because it's going to be nerve wracking. And when I talk to my old boss, David Hill, uh, right at the end, when I was kind of making up my mind and my push to try to make this happen. Um, he said, you're going to be nervous going into the booth week one. And when that music hits, and and that's a good thing. You need to be nervous again. And you need to push yourself and try new stuff and see what it's like and, and deal with change. And, and that's how you grow. And and I think that's that applies to whatever anybody does for a living or in school or whatever, in a relationship, whatever it might be. So... You know, we'll see what comes out of it. I'll I'll do my best and give them my best effort, and then we'll we'll see how it sounds. 
You'll have to get that Pearl Jam playlist for pregame week one. You'll have to really make sure you get the right jams on for that one. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm thinking you got to get some corduroy on there. You know, I got to get Eddie up. in the booth week one. That's what I got to get. That, yeah, that would be great. I mean, the poor guy. You got to you got to call him. By the way, he's going through some throat issues. I know. I, mean, you got I, any I, pointers I've, for I've, him? I thought about that literally today as I was driving home, listening to Pearl Jam radio because I have the best vocal doc in the world yeah but i don't want to prize so sure. i you know when somebody's going through something but yeah i i may reach out i don't know i mean we'll you say. got you got the group text message with him and the boss we talked about last time I mean. <laughs> i'm not no <laughs> he has a he and the they text while i was doing baseball i'm not cool enough to have springsteen's number okay all right uh, look at this is too much time already uh thanks to joe buck on here don't forget to check out daddy issues his podcast with Oliver yeah. Hudson. Yeah, you can check that out uh, wherever you found this. I'm sure you can find that. And I absolutely love the episode you did with your daughter. Um, as a dad of a daughter myself, it just felt cool to kind of look into the future and think, hey. And as a guy who podcasts with his daughter, too, my daughter sits across from me all the time and comes on this program yeah. to delight my listeners. But I love that one. Maybe find that episode. Um, and then, of course, get ready for Monday Night Football at Buck on Twitter, where he is occasionally. Dun, 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 dun. I can't wait to uh, week one read the tweets about how you hate. Who are the teams you're gonna? Who are the teams you're gonna uh, hate? Seattle that week? and Denver. Yes, you hate Seattle and Denver. I can't wait for that. I mean, I but my wife will fight anybody who says I hate Denver since she's. That's right. You know, oh, you're gonna get it from Seattle yeah. fans. Are gonna know that you're gonna get it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They're gonna be like, oh, yeah. his wife likes. They the already Broncos. think that. They already think that anyway. So <laughs> whatever. It's all right. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Steve. Be well. Same Stay to healthy. See Same you. to you. All Bye. Right. Bye. Tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, harder than down. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sudden way up high. All right, I want to thank Joe Buck for his time and candor and fun. And man, I'd love to be able to be the the fourth name in a group text with Joe Buck. Eddie Vedder and the boss. That'd be pretty sick. Uh, real quick book club update. Let's go through it. First of all, I want to mention again, 1972, the series that changed hockey forever by Scott Morrison. If you listen to season 12, episode two, you can hear my interview with Scott about this book, which I loved. I loved this book, loved reading it, and uh, was really interested despite the fact that I'm not much of a Hockey Canada fan, obviously, uh, but I very much enjoyed it. I recommend it. Check it out if you can. Uh, also, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022, the essential guide to the 2022 NFL and college football seasons. Uh, you can check that book out on Amazon if you'd like to purchase uh, the ebook version. If you'd like the hardcover, uh, I think you have to go to footballoutsiders.com for more information about that. All right, new book to announce, and it's one that I think is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to have multiple copies to give away. Um, I think I was told five copies I will have to give away, and it's by Fred Siegel, 
who you know from Freezing Cold Takes. And his book, Freezing Cold Takes, NFL, Football Media's Most Inaccurate Prediction, and the fascinating stories behind them. Uh, it comes out on August 9th, which is tomorrow, uh, as I speak now. Um, and I will have copies of this book to give away, and Fred will join us to talk about it. And I'm really looking forward to it. I heard there's some really interesting stuff in it, including a whole chapter on people not being happy with Ray Lewis's selection by the Baltimore Ravens in the first round of the 1996, I believe, uh, NFL draft. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think it was 96. Uh, but Fred will be on to speak about it. We'll have copies to give away, and it's released tomorrow or August 9th, depending on when you're listening to this. And again, it's called Freezing Cold Takes, NFL, Football Media's Most Inaccurate Predictions, and the Fascinating Stories Behind Them. That's the book club for this week. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with the very first person to ever appear on this podcast as a guest. And he's been on so many times since. And he's up to almost 1 million followers on Twitter. He's the Adam Schefter of baseball on ESPN. And, and he's killing it. And he's a great friend of the show. And I can't wait for you, for you to hear this interview. Um, so let's take a break. We'll be right back with Jeff Passan. Our next guest on this episode of the show is the first person to ever appear on this podcast as a guest. He's the author of a great book called The Arm and another called Death to the BCS. Uh, when he appeared on this podcast for the first time, he was with Yahoo. But today, he's the Adam Schefter of baseball on ESPN. And he's nice enough during a busy part of his season right after the trade deadline to make some time for us. A warm welcome to the OG of sportscasters, Jeff Passan. What's up, Jeff? How you doing? I am great, Steve. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm uh, better than I was a few months ago. That's for sure. I'm I'm uh, on the road to uh, to normalcy. I think for me, normalcy for me. You know, I, I was just gonna say normalcy <laughs> is a con- nor- normalcy is but a construct. That's right. That's right. So, but how how are you feeling after what had to have been a long couple of days with the trade deadline? I got a great night's sleep last night for the first time in a while, and I'm uh, pretty excited for the final three months of the season, including the playoffs, and uh, then it's right back out into free agency. Never never stops. All right, I bet you're going to get this on the first guess. What do you think I was most happy about You know, uh, with the trade deadline? Now that it's over, looking back on it, what do you think made me the happiest? I bet you know. The Braves getting Rizel Iglesias? The Braves getting rid of Will Smith. Ah, uh, okay. I was close. I was close. <laughs> oh, thank God it's over. Oh, my God. And listen, God bless the guy. He was great in the playoffs. He made me look yeah. like an idiot for sure because I never would have believed that he could do what he did in the playoffs, but he f- found something somewhere. I mean, I would have – it's a credit to, to Snit, I think, and the organization because I would have DFA'd that guy about 10 times last year. <laughs> <laughs> And they saw something in him I didn't, and um, which yeah, makes sense. That, 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 that's something that they saw is a lot of money that they would be paying him to do nothing. Sure, <laughs> that and that's fair. But uh, eventually that money turned into something. I mean, he turned into a ring. I can't believe it, but he was great. 
I mean, I was texting with you during the World Series, like, I told you this guy's awesome. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I look at Will Smith, and I don't feel like Braves fans should have any animus toward him nah. after what he did last October. So yep. that's why I thought the that's why I thought the addition would excite you more <laughs> than the subtraction. But yeah, I was joking I a little fans, bit. Yeah. Fans are fans are fans are fickle. Yeah, I was joking, busting chops a little bit with uh, poor Will Smith, but uh. No, like when you, you know, like even when I look back at like the Saints team who won in 2010, like I can count my championships on one hand, okay? You know what I mean? Like I haven't, I'm not exactly a Patriots fan or someone from Boston or something, but like, I mean, any of those 53 guys on that team, like I can appreciate something about them. You know what I mean? Like even Reggie Bush, like some Saints fans say he was a bust or something that he didn't quite live up to what he was supposed to be. I don't know. He was on our freaking Super Bowl team, a big reason we won it. So I, I don't have any beef with him or. Anyone else on the team or Will Smith or any of the Braves last year. Um, all right, let's do some simple stuff and then we'll have some fun at the end. Who won yesterday? Obviously the Padres, right? I mean, beyond that, who were the, who were the winners and who are the losers? It's interesting. I was on Buster Olney's podcast after the deadline yesterday and the, the Padres were the very clear winners of the day. They not only get, one of the best hitters I've ever seen in Juan Soto, but get Josh Bell in the same deal, trade for Brandon Drury, and all this is 24 hours after they've gotten Josh Hader. So, uh, the you know, the Padres did an excellent job of getting the best major league now talent out there. But I think the other winners, you could argue, were a couple of teams that sold in the Cincinnati Reds and Washington Nationals. I mean, the the prospect package that the Nationals got for Soto and Bell was unlike any I've ever seen before, and I I would suggest we'll see again, though, if Shohei Otani moves this offseason, we could potentially see something similar. Um, And, you know, when you can rebuild your farm system overnight with one trade, listen, it's hard to ever rationalize dealing somebody like Juan Soto who's 23 years old and who has two and a half years of club control left, the the type of player that you dream of signing and developing and him turning into a Hall of Fame caliber player at this point in his career. But if you're going to do it, you better hit a home run, and it feels like the Nationals hit a home run. And the Reds did the same thing. They went into the deadline with uh, a handful of players who were really – coveted by other teams and they traded the right ones Luis Castillo went to Seattle got a huge haul in return yeah that was a good uh, Tyler, trade it was very yeah good trade. Tyler mm-hmm. Molly going to going to the twins and again really solid return there uh, and Brandon Drury going to San Diego I think you know Oscar Zokar is a I mean he's a, a pretty high risk type of prospect really toolsy but hey uh that's the kind of guy you can take a swing on when you've done as well as they had in other deals so uh i thought the reds did a great job in terms of teams that were were buying and trying to get better i thought atlanta did well i thought philadelphia did well i thought houston did well and i thought minnesota did well the mets got to be on the top of the loser list right i mean i know their fans are definitely acting like they were um, their fans are not, not happy, but just didn't seem like seemed like they gave up a lot for the player they got and just didn't make the splash I thought they might. 
Yeah, I thought they were going to get a, a more impactful relief arm than Michael Gibbons, and certainly a more impactful bat than Daniel Bogelbach and Tyler Naguin. But uh, the Mets are clearly comfortable with where they are. And to me, this isn't one of those things I'm going to judge until like mid-September probably because I want to see if they can hold off the Braves. Right. Atlanta, it, it, I, I was having this discussion with someone yesterday. I, Atlanta might be the second scariest team to me in baseball behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. And that's no disrespect to the Yankees or to the Astros, but when you look at top-to-bottom talent, depth, and ability to excel in the postseason, uh, man, the and they're going to get Albies back, too, in September. Yeah, Ozzy Albies will be back in September. Yep. They've got Matt Olsen at first base, Dansby Swanson having a career year at short. Austin, Austin Riley. Riley, yeah. legitimate MVP candidate at third. They can uh, you know, figure out what to do with their outfield. But having Ronald Acuna there this year, which they did not last year. And who hasn't hit yet. Base. He hasn't had his best yeah. month yet, either. He's going to, you know. Now, he's still... He's still get he's still getting back into the swing of things, so yep. to speak. Um, and then and then in the rotation, uh, when you can trot out Max Fried and Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider and Charlie Morton and a bullpen that's got Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh and AJ Minter and Tyler Massick and now Rysel Iglesias, Dylan Lee's been fantastic this year. They're just deep everywhere. And in that depth is something that they didn't necessarily have last year. It's crazy to say, but I think the 2022 Braves are a lot better positioned going into Agreed. October than, than the eventual world champion Braves were. Yeah, I agree. Alex is great, man. He's really, really talented at what he does. Um, let me go back to the Padres real quick because I was wondering this. You know, So, obviously, Soto got traded because he didn't want $400 million from Washington – and they have Tatis and they have Machado. Those guys are going to want salaries very similar to whatever they end up paying Soto. I mean, is is there a window here? Like, are they up against it? Or is there a way that they can have all three of those guys long term and still have a championship team around it? Or are they kind of going all in and looking at like, hey, we got two and a half years or whatever. The control is on Soto and we got to do it now. Or, or what do you think the thinking is there? Because I was wondering about that. I think there are two different paths that they can go down. I think that you have to make that trade, you have to be comfortable with the idea that you're only going to get two and a half years of Juan Soto for, you know, seven years of Robert Hassel, seven years of CJ Abrams, seven years of James Wood, uh, seven years of Harlan Susana, six years of Mackenzie Gore. Like, it's a ton of control to give up over really, really talented young players. And, you know, I, I think where the Padres take solace is in knowing that every year they can have drafts like they did in 2021 when they got in the first round Jackson Merrill with the 27th pick, I believe, and uh, got James Wood in the second round, and that they can draft and develop these guys who are uber-talented. Um you have to have confidence and faith in your ability to do that. But in terms of, of signing long-term Juan Soto, I think it's it's a very simple thing. If they're prepared to give him $500 million, they will be able to sign him. And if they're not, then he's going to go out and be a free agent at 26 years old and is going to get probably the biggest contract in history, though, 
know, there's a there's a chance that Shohei Otani could beat him to that five hundred million dollar mark. Sure, because he's like two players in one. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Eventually, though, they're going to have to choose right between either two or of those guys. Like, they're not going to have all three of those guys sign up the long term well, deal, right? I mean, why, why? I don't know why. Okay, why you think they could? Okay. Well, I don't know if you pay yeah, Soto I mean, five hundred. Doesn't Tatis say I want five hundred? I mean, that's a a billion right well, there. Tatis, yeah, Tatis, Tatis is signed already, though, and Machado is signed. Like, okay, Tatis has Tatis has, I think, thirteen years left on his deal. Okay, and so they already Machado got their mega it. deals. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Machado got three hundred. Tatis got three forty. Um, you know, I I just look at it very simply that every single major league baseball team, the San Diego Padres proved that every single major league baseball team could spend. Hell yeah. It's not like, it's not like the Padres have an exorbitant television deal that's funding this. No, the Padres have people putting their asses in the seats every single night. The Padres have, uh, an incredible amount uh, of loyalty to the team because they're the last professional team left in San Diego. They have that market all to themselves. And right. it's not Good a big point. market. Yep. It's on the smaller side of things, but uh, they they have taken the, the approach that if we go out and spend and give our fans a reason to come to the park, our fans will come to the park. What a great they, approach. They, they are, they, they are, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, they're... they're they're the they're the epitome of if we build it, you will come. Right. Right. Yeah. And and they and they've built it, and lo and behold, they're coming. You know, I hear these numbers of what we're talking about here, and it makes me think, like, not to jump around or go back to the Braves, but man, two hundred something million for Austin Riley, and like the contract they got Albies on, like, man, I don't know if people just love to play there or what, but it seems like they get some really team friendly deals. Again, maybe we go back to Alex being great at what he does, but. I mean, Austin Riley was all smiles to sign that $200 million extension for another decade. I mean, it seems like they do well there, no? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that Riley's deal is in the same category as Albies or Acuna. Okay. I think those, you know, those might be the two best contracts in baseball in terms of team friendliness. But, uh, and listen, anytime you get into the $200 plus million range, it's hard for a guy to say no. And... Uh, for for Juan Soto to turn down four forty, betting on yourself. Uh, his, yeah, I mean his his approach is very simple. I know who I am. I know what I do. I know what I'm worth, and this is not what I'm worth. And even though twenty nine point three million dollars a year, it, it's not that it seems like a lot. It it is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a that is a ton of money. But compared to people in the sport, the $30 million threshold has worse players above it. And so for Juan Soto to suggest that he's going to take a a lower AAV deal, it's just not something that's realistic when, you know, he feels like he's got leverage at this point. Since we're talking about contracts and that, we might as well talk about Judge real quick. We can talk about the home runs and where you think he might get this year or later. That's just a fun prediction, but he's a guy who absolutely bet on himself and he's having a career year and it seems like it's a good bet. He's, yep. you know, assuming he can stay healthy the rest of the way and he has so far. I mean, God, God bless him. Hopefully he can for his sake, but where do, what do you think? Do you think he's a Yankee? Where do you think his number settles in? What do you think the market's going to look like for him when he gets to it? 
mean, we have to remember he's a little bit older. He's going to be starting the contract in his 30s, and that always scares teams a little bit. But, but the notion that Aaron Judge coming off the season he's coming off is going to get any less than $300 million, I think, is silly at this point. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll throw a home run number out there. I think he's certainly going to finish with more than 61. And, okay. and we can... We can, we can get into the debate about whether that constitutes a record or not. I don't think it does. Me but neither. There's I certainly, don't. There's, there's certainly plenty of people out there who would argue that. Fair um, enough. It's, it's, a, it's a compelling enough argument. I, I don't think it holds a ton of water, but I understand why somebody would make that argument. Point being, if he still stays healthy and continues to produce at this pace, I mean, we're talking about an all-time great season in a walk year, and there will be teams out there, whether it's San Francisco, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's Boston, Chicago, that look at him and say, this is a guy who we want to build our team around, and if all it's going to take is money as opposed to prospecting money like it did for Juan Soto, all the better. Yeah, and he seems like he seems like a good dude, clubhouse wise. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I he just seem like... I can't imagine the Yankees are going to let a player like that go. Maybe they will. I obviously they went over when we were younger. I mean, the- I mean, the, I mean, the Yankees, the Yankees, the, the Yankees let Robinson Cano go. I don't think Robinson Cano is a player. Aaron Judge is but fair. Yeah, that's I, fair. You know, I don't, I, I don't think they're they're averse to letting guys walk if the guy and his demands don't fit their model and. That's how a lot of decisions are made these days. How does this person project, and what's the ROI look like? I I think it helps that Aaron Judge is absolutely beloved among Yankee fans. I mean, he's he's the heir to Derek Jeter, and it's a mantle that uh, he has upheld really well up to this point. You know, it's amazing, too, because Jane Levy and I talked about this. Cause she's a bit, she's, she loves mantle, you know, like that was her guy growing up and everything. We were talking about this. It's like, it's amazing how the Yankees have managed to like slide from guy to guy. You know what I mean? It's like they go from Ruth to Gehrig, you know, they go from Gehrig to mantle or, you know, whatever. It seems like there's always the next mega star just waiting in the wings to be the next Yankee like that. Like they went from Mattingly to Jeter to judge. It's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and that next guy may be Anthony Volpe. And now that Juan Soto is off the trade market, the possibility of making Anthony Volpe part of that deal to go and get Soto, Soto would have been the heir apparent, and Volpe may now be. We just we just had the draft, and you and I always like to talk about 1-1s and joke about that, and we could talk about the 1-1 from this year and the 1-2 both being um... – kids who make me feel very old but um (laughs) but there's a 1-1 who's in the league now in Baltimore who's just absolutely crushing and an Orioles fan told me the other day like this is his team now and like he's the guy like how good do you think he is were you were you surprised at all that Baltimore didn't with the three wild cards only being three games out of the third one you surprised they didn't push a little bit or you think that they just are real focused on their plan and they got their 1-1 at catcher and he's gonna be their guy and what do you think about the O's? I'm doing this for a friend, but what do you think about the O's and their guys? They've got Adley Rushman as catcher now. Yep. He's a franchise-type player. Uh, they've got uh, Gunnar Henderson, a shortstop, who 
a lot of people think might be the best everyday player in the minor leagues right now. They've got Grayson Rodriguez as a big right-hander who, before he got injured, was regarded as the best pitching prospect in the minors and certainly remains among the top three there. They've got Jordan Westberg and Colton Kowser and Heston Kierstad and uh, Kobe Mayo. I mean, they're just a D.L. Hall, left-hander who's got incredible stuff and strikes out a lot of guys. I mean, the Orioles are extremely well-positioned right now. They need to go spend some damn money. And right, yeah. Look, the the free agent class this winter is going to be awfully good. I don't see them in the Jake DeGrom sweepstakes, but uh, I'll tell you, there are going to be a lot of shortstops out there, whether it's Carlos Correa, uh, Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, uh, Xander Bogarts. I mean, there are a lot of guys who would look awfully good in the middle of that lineup and around whom you can build. And if all it takes is money to go out and get them, that's something that the Orioles, after years of penny-pinching now, need to be really in on. Yeah, and Dansby, Spon- Dansby Swanson is another guy who is having a hell of a year on his walk year, too, huh? I mean, he was a little slow in April, but since then, man, it seems like he gets three hits like every other day. Um, he's having a year. He's really, really... Another 1-1, too, right? Dansby Swanson was a 1-1 himself. That's correct. That's correct. Um... What else? What? What do you now that the trade deadline's over, and we got a little bit of time till the playoffs? What does someone in your spot like? What are you interested in now? Like, what are you watching? Is it gonna? Is it seeing how the races kind of develop? Is it seeing who might get like a late call up or like what? As in your spot, like now that the trade deadline's over and we're not quite to playoffs, like what do you focus on now? I'm interested in how many home runs Aaron Judge is going to hit this year. I'm interested in seeing if Shohei Otani can make it to the end uh, and stay in good health for two years in a row and what that MVP ballot looks like accordingly. I'm interested in the National League East and who prevails there. I'm interested in the Padres. I'm interested in the Mariners. I'm interested to see just how much the Yankees can hold on. I'm interested to see if Minnesota can hold off Cleveland and Chicago. I'm interested Yale wild card and uh, where Toronto ends up and uh, if Tampa Bay can make it in. I think there are a lot of really good storylines down the stretch and this season has uh, has set up very nicely. You know, it's something I'm curious about and I'm convinced as a Braves fan, like in 93 um, when they went to the last day with the Giants and won, but then lost to the Phillies. And like even last year, I think that they won a championship because the Dodgers and the Giants had a battle all the way through, and then they had the five gamer. And I think that the, the Braves were the beneficiary of maybe like a little bit of a gas Dodgers team who had been to the World Series the year before as well. Like, and we have a new playoff format. Do you think the Braves or the Mets, if one of them gets a four game lead with 20 games left, their team just kind of taps out and kind of slows down and accepts that they're going to play the extra round? Or do you think the way it is that? Those division championships are going to be so important that teams are going to want to battle like that. Like, what do you think with the new format? Because I know in the old one, when the wild card first came in, it seems sometimes teams were willing to just, I don't know. I don't want to say not like throw away the division, but sometimes like those Red Sox and Yankees teams, it seems like they just be like, ah, one will finish first, one will finish second, whatever. We'll see in the playoffs, you know. I don't know. What do you think with this format? I think I think it's a little different if it's the National League Central, for example, and uh, the difference between a, a wild card, uh, 
if you're if you're a division winner and, and a wild card, if you're not, is not that great. But uh, if you're in the National League East and the difference is between a two seed and like a four seed or a five seed, hell yeah, you're going to try and get that two seed. You get to skip around. The first and second seeds in this format get buys. Um, and, and the fourth seed, while it gets to play all three games of the wild card series at home, uh, it still has to play three games and use its pitching staff as opposed to give it some rest. So I, I think wild card and division depends on the, the sort of scenario that uh, exists around it. And in this case, because of the record of the Mets and the Braves, uh, it really makes a difference. So unless it's so far out of hand that you're just not mathematically able to catch them, I think they're going to be trying regardless. Yeah, it's interesting because th- those division battles, man, they can be draining sometimes. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, I want to ask you one more brace question. I'm sorry. People are going to hate me. But I got to ask you, is there any chance we see – Is there any chance we see Soroka? Like, what's, is, there, is there any news there? Like, I haven't heard anything about him in like a month. Last I heard, yeah, he was. I, I just, I, I, you know, when it comes to Mike Soroka, uh, my entire approach has been anything you get is gravy. Yeah, I so, feel like that about Mike Thomas too. It's like I got one in each team. I, I just feel like whatever I can, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little different, right? I guess, yeah. Mike, Mike Thomas is a little bit of. I don't know what the right word to use is, but there was times I where mean, I felt like he just didn't want to play. I don't know that I get that impression right. with Soroka. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and beyond that, Thomas also was fighting a teammate. Point, like, yeah. Well, now just the, the best at his position. Oh know, yeah, Soroka. Thomas is a better player for sure. I mean, relative yeah. to yeah, yeah, similar situations though. I mean, where they've been out for so long, and yeah, you know, you're not sure if you're going to get them back, and you get to the point where you're just like. Well, when they get there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you learn to live life without things. And you just sort of hope that maybe you got the opportunity, maybe you got a chance to to get him back. But if you don't, then you've adapted. And and that's where I think the Braves are with Soroka. Fair. Have you heard anything about his progress in general, though? Because, like, I heard he was pitching simulated games, but I haven't heard anything since that. Have you? I'll be honest now. No, okay. Yeah. I, haven't, I, I haven't. I haven't asked though. Yeah, so. not not I mean, I can, anyone's focus. I can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can ask when we get off here. And okay. I can, like, yeah, let me know. Next you. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> I, I'd be curious. I'm I'm curious about him because, man, he was such a stud. You know, it's like, it's funny. I was looking back at a mention. I was saying the same thing about Beachy. It's like, uh, oh yeah, I thought he was going to be the next Greg Maddox too. Can't get too excited. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, he just never, never got healthy. Yep, yep, some of these guys. The sportscasters are here with our main man, Jeff Passan. Uh, obviously, we say this all the time. It was on the very first show. And I always, we always uh, joke around sometimes about our past. And I, I shared an email with Jeff last night where I was very politely called him Mr. Passan. Back Mr. In. Passan. Yes, Mr. Passan. Thank you for getting back to us on such a short notice. So, and it goes, <laughs> it goes on from there, but. Yeah, that's dated uh, 1-8-2011, so that's how long we've been. Yeah, we're old. Yeah, we did get old. <laughs> it's very sad, but we did get old. But I, I heard, what, the the um, the um 1980s are going to be like 50 years away in a decade or something like that? Um, 19, uh, yeah, I guess so. Good God. All right. Well, that's 
horrifying to think about. So what else? What else do we have to cover? And do you have any questions for me? I should open the floor to you. Do you have any questions for me? I, I have no questions for you. I'm the guest here. Uh, was I was I supposed to, was I supposed to do homework and come prepared? You know, I'm just curious every once in a while if anyone is you know wonders anything about me. So I was just going to throw it out there to you. You know, do you have any questions for me? Um, is is Paula still watching wrestling? Oh yeah, but again, only you know 1980s to 90s wrestling. You know what I mean? We go to the about the Attitude Era, and that's it. We go from Hulk Hogan fitting the fit, pinning the Sheik. At MSG to about WrestleMania 15. That's about our range. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a. I mean, that's a. That's a pretty good one to end on, right? Yeah. We had this is I'll end on this story. So that we had this funny thing where uh, my nephew is one year older than her. So he's he's seven. She's six. So this is like last year probably. And they were over and they were playing and she had her wrestlers out and she came running out to. I think my mom, my brothers were there. Whatever. We had, we were having a little family thing, and Paula comes out and she's like. Dad, Gregory doesn't even know who the British Bulldogs are, and I'm like, he, yeah. I'm like, he doesn't, and she's like, no, and she runs out. And I just looked at her, and I was like, I'm not gonna tell her that she's the weird one in this scenario just yet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll kind of just let no. that pass for now. The hardest thing though about having a daughter who loves wrestling from the '80s is when she turns to me and says, "Dad, is Roddy Piper still alive?" Yeah, and it's like, um. Uh, Sadly, he is not. Yeah, sadly, he is not. Um, and then one time, I, my uh, my my ten year old has uh, taken a liking to wrestling you know, over the past six months or so. And when he likes something, he kind of obsesses over it. I'm like that. Uh, yeah. To the to the to the point where if you now give him any year from 1988 to present and say like 1994. He can tell you who won the Royal Rumble and That's what awesome. the main event at WrestleMania was. <laughs> That's awesome. He also he, he also has memorized the entire WWE title history legacy to the point where he can run through Bruno San Martino to Roman Reigns and every title change in between. That's amazing because I was just doing that. Um, what's that game called where you do sports? Uh, Sporkle, Sparkle, something like that. I just did the WWF title history on that one the other day, and I got all of them but like three. But I knew who they were. I just forgot them. But um, that's Who'd amazing. You miss? I missed like uh, maybe like JBL, I think. I missed Sheamus, I yep. think. And I missed um, Dean Ambrose. I didn't remember that. I knew that obviously Reigns and Rollins had had the belt, but I didn't remember that Ambrose had. So those are the three that I had forgotten, I think. But I got the rest from. I'm very curious. I'm very curious how I would do with that. Yeah, it's like, on Sporkle. Look it up. Respect, respect to you for getting Bob Backlund. Yeah, well, back well, Backlund's kind of easy because he was basically right before Hogan, right? I mean, yeah. You know, they, I, I mean, think, they I had think, the Sheik in between, but. I was just gonna say, didn't it go Backlund, Sheik, Hogan? Yeah, but Sheik only had it for like the one month. He was just a transition champ, you know what I mean, to get to him. Yeah. Yeah, the hard one is like Stan Stasiak, remembering him, because he was the transition champ to get it back on San Martino for his second yep. one. Yeah, Pedro Morales can be a tough one. Um, but, wow, yeah. Okay, last thing on it. This is what I wanted to ask you for sure. Chiefs tickets. You, you guys got them again? You're going to get to a bunch of games? What's up with the Chiefs uh, fandom out there for you and your family this year? Uh, tickets renewed. We'll be at the game and – enjoy it except for when they start chopping 
and uh, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see how they do without Tyreek Hill. Right. Like, is Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, is that enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, a, that's a bet, you know, especially with Edward Dallaire uh, as the main guy in the backfield. Uh, that's a bet on Patrick Mahomes. And I think we're going to, you know, we're going to see Patrick Mahomes try and do his best Aaron Rodgers imitation this year, where uh, you may not have the, the best receivers, but what you do just through your play is elevate them as opposed to have them elevate you. Yeah. Breeze had years like that too. And I think it's going to, it's going to put a tax on, um, Kelsey as well. You know what I mean? Cause there'd be a lot more attention on him. Um, the interesting thing Aaron Schatz said on here a few weeks ago was, so I asked him about the Tyreek Hill. He says that their study and their projections show that the team that loses the star wide receiver um, is usually uh, not affected as much as the team who gains the – or no, the opposite. The team that loses the star receiver is hurt more than the team who gains them improves. Is helped? Yeah. Okay. So that's what they've studied. He said there's exceptions where when Diggs came to Buffalo, that obviously was huge for Josh Allen, and he threw a couple names out. But he said the general rule in their study is it hurts the team who loses the star more than it helps the team that gains them. So you can take that for what it's worth. I like his stuff, so I, you know, it's funny too because he. I, I'd be I, I I'd be curious about the size of that sample because there just aren't that many star receivers out there. So right, and how many have been I'm traded? Not... And how many have been traded too? Because you need a trade no. to. You know, to... I mean, we saw we saw it this we saw it this winter. Devontae Adams got traded. AJ Brown got traded. Tyreek Hill got traded. Like that was the story of the offseason. Yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of the best receivers in football were on the move. All right, Jeff Passing, you're always too good to me. At Jeff Passing on Twitter, there's like a million people there now. So uh, go join them if you haven't. And um, of course, he's on. I was gonna say when you when you when we first talked, how many Twitter followers did I have? Oh, 15,000, maybe 10,000, maybe even less. Not yeah. many. I mean, we, you had just written Dr. the BCS. Obviously that's why I reached out. And, um, I mean, we're, we're basically the same age, right? 1980, 1979 in that range. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we were what? 30, 31 years old. So we were young bucks yeah. now, now we're old farts. And, uh, what, what, what was that? Do, do you have gray hair yet? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm an Italian, you know, so I've had them since I was like nine. You know, plucking the ra- <laughs> plucking the random one out, but uh, that was the funny thing I was gonna bust your balls about too. You got awful, awful announcing articles now about your hair. I'm like, wow, Jeff has, awesome. Jeff has reached a new level, and awful announcing is reporting about Sage Steele's comment about his hair. <laughs> I was like, this is too it was, much. It was, it was, it was very kind of Sage. Yes. I mean, it was also, it was also accurate. Here's the thing: <laughs> Jeff Carlington is an extremely handsome man, and so. He's better looking than I am. He's in better shape than I am. He knows how to spin things on his finger. Like, he's much more talented than I am. So give me the hair. Like, at least give me the hair. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll give you the hair. I mean, you got a beautiful head of hair. I'll admit it. You know? And, like, I'm grateful that I, I do have gray hair, but I have hair. You know, like, some of my friends, they, they're wearing caps all the time because they're embarrassed they're bald. I'm not bald, but I, I'm probably close to 50-50 now, gray and black. So, yeah, my yeah. my my hair. I'm I I am not bald because I've been on PEDs for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I can say very proudly I have 
dyed my hair once in my life, and it was when a friend. It was back when I was 22, and a friend of mine was dating a hairdresser, and they were doing like a fashion show to show off the newest hairstyles. And I got frosted tips. Oh, because, the frosted tips are out. Yep. Yes, because his his girlfriend wanted me to be a hair model, and uh, so I was I was okay with that. But now not a not a single ounce of uh, colored product in my hair. I don't know how it's not graying yet because I have children in this job, but I'm I'm holding on to it with dear life. You sound like Howard Stern because he still claims he doesn't have any gray hair, any hair color. He's like close to 70, but I dyed my hair one time as well for my wedding. I said I should get rid of it. Yeah. But then when I saw how long it lasts, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. That's stupid. But I did do it for my wedding, but whatever. All right, brother. We good? You good? What What were you going to say? Okay. I was going to say, how long does it last? Not long enough. I mean, a few weeks? After a week. Yeah. Yeah. After a week, you can already see the roots, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not worth it. Especially with how dark my hair is, like the actual black hair I have is like really dark. So it just, you can tell right away that there was a dye job, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, all right, buddy. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. You got it. All right. Talk to you later, Jeff. See you, dude. I would like to thank Jeff Passan and Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear this episode and all episodes of the 11 plus years of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. Please follow me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. And it's been a while since we've gotten any reviews of any kind on Apple. If you can give us a couple of five-star reviews, if we've earned it, that would be nice. If I earned a one-star review, at least there'd be some action going on over there. It's quiet. If you can do it, I appreciate it. Don't forget to check out my friends. First, let's start with greetings from Allentown. My friend Peter Winston, who's all fired up about the Orioles uh, and their exciting season so far this year. Uh, you can find Peter at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, and Greetings from Allentown Live with him and Keithy comes out weekly. And they're going through 1992 in the WWF as they build towards the 92 SummerSlam, uh, which of course was headlined by Bret Hart and Davy Boy Smith. Don't forget to check out Adrian Dater at ADater on Twitter, ColoradoHockeyNow.com for that. And the Place to Be Nation podcast. As I talk right now, I'll be joining Justin and Scott on the flagship sometime tonight and recording an episode of the show with them. I'm looking forward to that. So if you can check out the episode of Place to Be Nation with me on it, that'd be great. It's the flagship show. It's great. They got all kinds of other great stuff there. They got multiple feeds, whether it's the Jenny position or the North-South Connection or the Place to Be Nation pop feed. Uh, It's all there, Place to Be Nation. Follow them on Twitter at Place to Be Nation there. Don't forget the 24-inch podcast. And I want to send out, condolences and love and affection for my 24-inch podcast partner, Dave Rollins, who sadly had to put to sleep his beloved pup, uh, Ruby, uh, this week. And we're very sad for Dave. Uh, 
we love our boy here, Colston, who just turned 11 on August 6th, had a birthday. And I know it's going to be the hardest day of my life, not just from the dog perspective, but uh, the pain that I know my daughter and my wife will be feeling and how much that's going to hurt me and my instincts to want to make them feel better. Uh, But it's not about that. It's about Ruby and all dogs go to heaven. I know she's with Uncle Tito now. And I'm glad about that, but I want to send my condolences out to Dave. And when Dave is feeling better and settled in his job, and hopefully sometime by the fall, uh, the 24-inch podcast will return. And sometime before that, the Paula Pod will debut. But in the meantime, you got the Sportscasters. And next week on the show uh, will be Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. We'll talk some college football with him. The AP Top 25 came out today. I think Oklahoma was number nine. I didn't see who number one was. Probably Alabama, I would think. Maybe Georgia. I know Clemson was number four. Uh, What else did I see? Utah was very high, like maybe number nine. uh, Something like that. But that's out. It doesn't mean a whole lot. um, But it is exciting to to have that um, to discuss, I guess. And we will do so uh, with Stuart Mandel and everything else that's going on in college football on the next show. Season 12, episode 4. All right, one last thing for this show, and the first two we did this season were pretty heavy, so I thought we'd go a little lighter this time, and I wanted to talk about TV, what I'm watching, and I just finished a show that's worth worth mentioning called The Bear. Now, I broke a rule that I have, and the rule that I have is I never watch, I never watch a show that only has one season. I wait for the second season to at least debut because I've been burned too many times with shows like Freaks and Geeks and Terriers and so many others that only got one season and I got super into them and then they never came back and it hurt. But there was so much talk about the bear everywhere and it was 30 minute or so episodes and only eight of them and on FX who has a pretty decent track record of having some really good shows. And I'll admit the first four or five, I was like, I like this show, but I don't love it. Uh, I don't totally get the hype. There's a lot of shots of people cutting vegetables with knives, just a lot of that, which I don't totally understand. Um, And I liked some of the characters, some I didn't. uh, But you know what? I I warmed to it, and I really enjoyed it. And the the second-to-last episode of the season is one of the best episodes of television ever. I mean, it's so damn good. It's, It's practically one shot. There's so much tension, and um, it's really, really well done. It has a great ending that opens up a lot of possibilities for a second season. And I have heard that FX has picked it up, which I'm not surprised because every time it seems like I open Twitter, someone else is, is either watching it or has watched it and is recommending it. And I recommend it as well. It's a fun show to watch. It's called The Bear. It streams on Hulu if you're looking for it. Eight episodes, they're about 30 minutes each, although the last episode is more like 47, uh, the season finale. Uh, some really good characters. Criticism, too many shots of people cutting stuff uh, with knives. Vegetables, don't need it. Uh, but some interesting characters, uh, people I want to learn more about, and I'm looking forward to the next season. Uh, every summer, I usually watch Big Brother. Uh, I bailed very quickly last season. Uh, that wasn't going to be for me. I thought that the alliance that formed was racist, uh, and I bailed on it. But I'm back this year, and I told Tammy, 
Tammy Paul and I watched this ridiculous show, and I told her that it seems to me like the younger, the older I get, and the younger the people on the show get, the more I hate them. I hate everyone on this show. They're such assholes. They play so stupidly. They get so paranoid. Almost everyone who's been evicted so far volunteered themselves to go on the block. They all think they're so smart and so righteous. They're absolutely bullying the hell, although it's calmed down now, out of this girl, Taylor, uh, because she was a beauty queen and they were jealous of her. Um, And I just can't stand the people. But there's something about the show. I guess there's not a lot going on this summer. And uh, it's fun to watch, I suppose. Uh, And it's something we do as a family. So I'm in on that again. I'm excited for Hard Knocks tomorrow uh, as we talk. It's the Detroit Lions. I don't know how excited I am about them. Although they could be an interesting team. They could be a team on the rise. Uh, Dan Campbell's an interesting character, the coach there. He's been with the Saints as well. Um, And they have some players that are interesting. Um, So we'll see. Sometimes the best hard knocks are the ones you don't expect much out of. You know, I'm sure going into the Bengals season, I didn't think it was going to be much. And then Ocho Cinco just steals the show with these weird catchphrases and you know, sometimes it's a great season. Sometimes it's not. Last year's Cowboys season was just okay. I bailed after I seen what was going on with the Chargers season and what the themes were going to be there. I didn't watch that one. Uh, but over the years, it's been a show I love. We actually had the director of the show on the football version of the Sportscasters on Football Nation way back in uh, the summer of 2012, I guess. or two thousand. Yeah, the summer of 2012 going into 2013 and that was a really interesting spot i'd love to do something like that again i remember i talked to him right from the production van uh, on set i don't remember who the team was that year maybe the dolphins if the dolphins have done it i could be wrong about that Uh, but uh, there is that what else am i watching oh paula and i uh, watched an episode of a game show on abc called generation gap which was really fun to watch. They have an old person and a young person, and they ask the old person questions about current pop culture and the young person about questions of stuff from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s. And Paula is pretty good at it because Tammy and I have made a conscious effort uh, to raise her to know more about things that happened more than five minutes ago. Uh, One of my criticisms about kids in this generation is they only seem to know about what's happening now or five minutes ago and i don't want her to be on jaywalking someday or something like that and being asked you know who's jim carrey or something and she's she's just drawing a blank and she doesn't know anything but jojo cy or something i don't know or youtube mr beast i saw mr beast has a hundred million followers on youtube that's unbelievable unbelievable uh but generation gap it's a cool show to goof around with also paul and i have been really into cooking shows lately like guys grocery games and we watch that all the time and beat bobby flay it's another thing we watch Uh, but yeah hard knocks is starting up i recommend the bear uh what else has been cool oh there's a new there's a new game of thrones show coming and I cannot wait to have absolutely no idea what the hell is going on in that show again. 
Uh, that's at the end of the month on HBO. Uh, also, I just thought of this. Uh, besides Big Brother and uh, everything else that's been going on, I've been watching baseball every day. <laughs> Got to get some sports in there. Soccer started back up. Uh, Serie A doesn't start until the 13th, I believe, but the other leagues did start up. And uh, it's training camp. There's a lot going on again, a lot of cool stuff on TV. If you watch The Bear, let me know what you thought about it. Uh, did you like it? Do you think it's as good as the hype? Uh, what are your thoughts on The Bear? I want to know. Do you watch Big Brother? Uh, let me know if you watch that. Do you agree with me that as you get older and the kids stay the same age or get younger, uh, they just seem to frustrate you? Let me know about that. The Sportscasters at gmail.com. Hit me up. Yeah.